It's time now for episode 51 of the Insecurity Show. Watch your piebald. In this episode, we discuss DNS filtering on your home network. Visit our website at in-security.org for previous episodes, show notes, and more. Send us an email to feedback at in-security.org. And follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. Rate us on your favorite podcast app. My name is Matt. And my name is Max. How are you doing this week, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you doing? A little bit sad. I just found out that my boss is leaving. I really respect her. I felt supported and encouraged. That's terrible. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. What'd you do to make her leave? I know. That's what I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, what did I do that makes you leave? Yeah. But I've been like legitimately sad. I'm, I, no, I, I have no idea what the future brings for me. I mean, I it's, it's clearly selfish. I'm happy for her. but Is she off to new and awesome stuff? Yes. It sounds cool. like it. Well then, bully for her. Yeah, exactly. What about you? What is new and exciting? I'm in Winnipeg. Winnipeg? Yeah, it's my first time here. Oh. That's new and exciting. So do they still have a lot of winter? No, no. It's like uh, five degrees here. Nice and tropical. Ooh. Celsius for anybody wondering. What's the conversion? Um, well, it's probably about 42 or something like that. Seeing wow, as that's actually pretty good. Good job, Dr. Seeing as 32 is zero, and it's about two degrees Fahrenheit per every one degree Celsius. Yeah, look at you, Mr. Math. Uh, because I'm teaching my kids math. Mathematical. Because they keep quizzing me on maths. Oh, uh, really? Like, is it pop quizzes, or are they just like out of, out of pop nowhere? Pop quiz! Pop quiz, no, hot shot. You got a bus that's traveling 60 miles per hour. Another bus coming at you at 60 miles an hour. What do you do? What do you do? You're like, well, as long as they stay over 50. Yeah. Oh, right. That's how the movie went. <laughs> they combined their powers and went 120. Then actually the bus would probably blow up. If it went 120? Yeah. If both of them combine their powers. I don't think buses are really built for, mm. for speed. I was huh? in a bus back in Montreal and it was on the highway and it was just, it had like the most ferocious speed wobble. <laughs> and it was doing yeah. like weights and stuff. 70 or whatever. Yeah. Fishtailing. Although, to be fair, they really shouldn't have let you just take those keys. I don't know if you know this because of your one sister that has kids, but there's a series of books called Don't Let the Pigeon Do, and then a bunch of stuff. One of them is Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. I think that was the first one by Mo Williams. That sounds like a really good book. It's funny because the kids yell at the book. It's like when I'm watching TV shows. I'm like, oh, don't go in there. But it's a uh, bus driver's like, hey, I got to go do a thing real quick. Got to see a man about a wallaby. Whatever you do, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. And then the pigeon begs, pleads, gets angry, goes through the whole like seven stages of grief. Really? Yeah. It's bargaining. pretty awesome. Yep. Denial. The, the bargaining part's really fun because the pigeon puts the hand up near the lips and goes, how about I give you five bucks? And then the kids yell at it. Don't take the no! money. It's tainted. It's blood money. Mm. It's pretty awesome. On a similar vein, there's a television program called Mike Tyson's Mystery Team or something like that. Mm. And one of the characters is a pigeon and he is voiced by Norm MacDonald and he is wildly inappropriate. <laughs> uh, it was a human man who got turned into a pigeon. Is this an adult swim kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's on Netflix. Huh. Um, is Mike Tyson actually in it? Yes, he voices himself. And then at the end of most of the episodes, there's a little live segment of them chatting with him oh and, boy and he's wearing the same kind of jumpsuit as he wears in the show right yeah the characters are mike tyson a ghost and a, 
a talking pigeon and Mike Tyson's adopted Asian daughter. Hmm. I don't know if he actually has a adopted Asian daughter. I don't remember that in The Hangover. A bunch of times he seems to think that she's a robot. <laughs> it's good? It's very unusual. That's not, um, it's that's it's not very it. it's enjoyable because it's okay. unusual. Um hmm. You know me and my broken sense of humor. Right. I was looking through Netflix the other day and came across Archer and I'm like, oh, I wish I could see a new episode of that. Right. Are they making another season? I am not in the loop. They I, uh, mm. they keep asking me and I keep saying no. Yeah. Not ready. Yeah. Not ready just yet. Yeah. Uh, they did release new episodes of Welcome to TV Talk with Matt and Max. They did ep- release new episodes of Arrested Development. I don't know if you're mm, a fan of that Never got show. into that. Have you ever tried? I tried, but, you know, wasn't hooked right away. Huh. I would recommend trying it again, especially if you're a fan of Archer. It's essentially real-life Archer. Oh, wait. No, the way I think structured. I was thinking of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That one I can It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not like Archer. Uh, right. Everybody is always angry. Everybody is always yelling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I also find it enjoyable, but again, I have a broken sense of humor. But I think if you, I think if you enjoy Archer, you would definitely like Arrested Development in much the same way as Archer. I would recommend start watching from the beginning. Yep, it becomes extremely self-referential pretty quickly. Cool. And I will try that out then. The mother in arrested development is mallory archer oh awesome so that'll help ease you in so arrested development um it's like basically everything in it is really clever the premise is they are a uh, a real estate developer who is making all the wrong choices in life and everything is just completely off the wall it's a whole family of of idiots who are <laughs> driving this company into the ground um <laughs> one of the running great gags is that they have these homes that they build or this one home that they've built it's the model home and Uh it's extremely unsafe (laughs) uh it keeps breaking and falling apart wow um speaking of unsafe homes Mm -hmm. see what i did there what's today's episode about because we were talking about home security for our for this digital era yeah well kind of last time threw me for a loop when I thought that I could do kind of a whole episode and wrap it all up about what it's like for putting technology in your house that actually is helpful instead of hurtful and and how to protect yourself if you're like at your house or a small business. But then we discovered that it's actually bigger than kind of one episode. Right. In fact, it's going to encompass all of season two (laughs) that's right i love it and actually trying to rush through everything maybe did a little bit of disservice so just a refresher last time we talked about housekeeping have we got housekeeping sure this is housekeeping hey max do you have any housekeeping (laughs) i have follow-up previously on season two episode one also known as episode 50 of the insecurity show we discussed things such as Connecting your house or business to the internet. In fact, we have the clip right here. Hey, Max, why don't you tell us about the internet? So, yeah, re- kind of rushing through some of that stuff maybe was a disservice because there's some nuanced stuff that we could talk about more about it. But basically, we had like it's about control. So you being in control of stuff is better than trusting your internet service provider and having them configure stuff for you. And then just leaving things as defaults, default passwords are bad kind of stuff. And and then we also touched on a little bit of Wi-Fi 
and mesh networks and stuff like that. We didn't really talk about like how you would secure your Wi-Fi once you configure it yourself, though. And we had talked a little bit about network segmentation, but we didn't really go into detail of how people commonly do that. If somebody doesn't know, I don't know. Right. I'm not sure if we should like dumb it down a little bit and speak to that or is that like patronizing to the audience it depends on how dumb you want to go i guess uh no i don't think i think that the goal of this is to try and explain things in a understandable way okay we'd also talked a little bit about password managers but you'd hinted at the end of last episode that we should maybe elaborate on that a little bit right um we also talked about limiting kind of the amount of privilege that you run your machine with so that if you stumble across something nefarious on the inter- internet it doesn't completely it doesn't use your privilege to destroy your computer and the computers around you so i guess one of the things that is kind of important when you when you're talking about keeping control is it's not just about the ports that we had talked about last time and setting up firewall rules for what's allowed in to your network it's also about being able to limit what's going out or at least knowing about what's going out so we talked about in the past dns domain name service is a thing that translates the system that you want to go to from the nice name to the ip address and there's a lot that can be kind of revealed with that when we talked about like microsoft telemetry uh collecting data about how your system's using it and metadata if you want to have more of a sense of privacy then you don't necessarily want your internet service provider to know everywhere that you've been going based on the DNS. Because when you get an internet connection from your internet service provider, then typically they give you something called DHCP, which is Dynamic Host Configuration Protocol, which is like, here's how you talk to the internet. Here's our DNS server, so you can go ahead and do that. And here's your IP address for your device. And then you have the network address translation, which gives you the ability to have like thousands of devices within your own home network and it just looks like one IP address to the outside. So if you want to actually have some sort of privacy over that, when we're talking about running your own router within your home network, you can have that run as a DHCP Mm. server and you can have that point to whatever DNS you want. So if you connect your phone to it, you connect your internet of things device, your, your smart fridge, your smart toaster, your smart washing machine, your, your light bulbs, whatever, you can control where it can reach out to through this DNS resolution as well. Sorry, hold on. Your light bulbs or your smart light bulbs? Smart light bulbs. Thank you. Good, good. Just got to make sure. So I think one of the things that you said was that I might have misheard, but you said that your internet service provider wouldn't be able to tell where everything is going. But I think at the end of the day, if you're having your third-party device act as a DHCP server, then ultimately the web traffic is still, it still has to go through your ISP. So they're going to still know where you're going. They're just not going to be able to tell what wants to go there. Did I, am I, am I misunderstanding it? They, they still can have a log of what IP address you went to, but if right. you're not using them to resolve the domain names, then it's just an IP address and IP addresses mm-hmm. do end up changing. So you don't necessarily know the intent of the the home network's connections. Okay. Yeah. So just just like it's a convenience to know the name instead of actually typing in the IP address every time and figuring out what it's changed to. Same thing's true for you know whoever's looking at the queries that you've made. Sorry, it's getting hot. Turned off the air conditioner for this, so right. 
for the listeners at home, uh, Max and I do this show over videos so that it's easier to read the body language and the confusion on my face as he prattles <laughs> on about things. Uh, but he is uh, peeling off his his shirt That's in the not, least seductive manner. <laughs> the least seductive manner I've ever seen. Having a DNS server in your control, and then con- the DNS server itself probably doesn't know all of the things that you're going to connect to because you're not going to program it in. So you're going to actually have to make it refer to somewhere else. Right. Now the, the ISP that you're connecting to is the easy one, but if you want to leverage a service that'll like block malicious domains from you being able to connect to it and terminate that, there's a bunch of services that are out there that you can put in the IP address for the resolution of open DNS is one that I trust and you can find their IP address online. You could also actually find it in our show notes if you want. Or would someone find our show notes? Our show notes can be found online at in-security.org slash EP051. Cool, thanks. So I'll put the IP addresses in there because, I don't know, just for convenience sake, drive traffic to our website so we pay more for bandwidth. Appreciate it. And then there's other services that are out there. 1.1.1.1 just became available. Um, If you want Google having more data on you and everything that you do, you can put in there 8.8.8.8. Sounds lucky. Or you can set up your own DNS server to do DNSSEC, which is DNS over a secure protocol where somebody couldn't intercept it. So the same same way when you go to an HTTPS website, mm-hmm. there's a certificate that's encrypting everything so nobody can peer into it. Same is true for DNSSEC. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And you still need somebody to connect you on the other end. But yeah, you can do that kind of translation out as well. So not only can you actually block potentially malicious websites that somebody's already done the investigation on and added a blocker, you can even block ads if you don't want to run them and block trackers. Like we're talking about how Microsoft has some telemetry and Google Analytics and all sorts of other stuff. If you feel on that more paranoid side, then you can block that stuff from from even getting the network traffic in the first place by blocking the DNS name. Why, Max? How would someone block that? An ad is just a little thing that sits on the website. How would we stop just that from showing up? Well, that ad that renders onto your web browser is hosted somewhere. And so that would be a DNS request to load that asset from somewhere. So we've spoken about this in the past uh, from a couple of episodes. And the underlying idea is that if you're served up ads, a lot of the time ads are managed and served by an ad network this is ultimately someone who does the in-between work going from the uh, person who wants an ad shown and the website and they do all of the bargaining saying look i'll show your ad x number of times on these sorts of websites uh, and it'll cost you these dollars then they pay the websites for displaying the ads so that the websites aren't dealing directly with small businesses and so on and so forth necessarily the yep. problem with that is not all ad networks are very fastidious in what they allow onto their network or they allow to be displayed. So Absolutely. we've spoken in the past about having some sites that we really enjoy and some content providers that make excellent content and in much the same way that we would want to support them through whatever means are possible. Some websites actually go to the trouble of doing the ads themselves. If, for instance, Forbes were to host their own ads, then 
by blocking their ad server, which would be Forbes.com, you would be blocking the site. Right. But because you're not blocking, uh, because they're not hosting their own content, you're blocking whoever's hosting the content, and that still allows you to display the site itself. That's great clarification. Thanks, Matt. Is that the ad, dumb the ad far networks? Down? Nope, that is perfect. I just kind of glossed over that critical detail. Yeah, so the ad networks themselves is a, a different name that you'd be resolving. So the web page you're going to loads a bunch of different resources from all over the internet and then presents it to you on the one browser page. Right. Um, so yeah, you could absolutely block going to ads if you had a list of ad servers, of ad networks that you wanted to block. And it wouldn't ruin any of the other content. It would just prevent the loading of that ad. You know, if it was hosted on one of these these affiliate ad networks. Right. A super convenient way of doing this is running something called Pihole, which is managed DNS uh, entries for ad networks, telemetry networks, and you can kind of choose what you want. You can also add in other types of lists, such as known malicious domains. So you can stop your assets, your even your phone that you can't really control or, or put an ad blocker over or your IoT devices as long as they're using whatever's provided to them through your DHCP DNS server. Mm -hmm. You can stop them from going and providing um, usage telemetry details back if, if you feel that that's something that the company you've bought the device doesn't have the right to know. So when you're setting up something like the pie hole, um, mm -hmm. the question in my mind would be, how would you know or learn what all of these ad hosting sites are. So the Pihole themselves, uh, it, the website is pi-hole.net. Pi-hole.net. Yep. It's like a one-line command line instruction to install this on your Raspberry Pi. So first you have to buy a Raspberry Pi, which you can buy online. You can buy a kit that has all the stuff you need for that. Raspberry Pis are little mini computers, like hobbyist computers, they take an SD card, so you need to buy an SD card. Or if you buy a kit, they come with them. Uh, you need to buy a power adapter or just use an old cell phone power adapter for like an old Android phone. It needs to be connected over, I'd suggest, Ethernet, but you can do it over Wi-Fi. That's about it. And they're like $35 for these little mini computers US. So that's like $45 Canadian or something like that. And you can buy these kits with like cases on it. So I've just got one of these shoved in my wiring closet where my connection to the internet is. And I route all DNS queries through it. Okay. And it's a really cool thing that with this one line command line that you'll see on pi-hole.net as to how to download and install this thing on your Raspberry Pi once you've got that set up, which is a little bit time consuming, but pretty straightforward. Then you've got Pi-hole running that you've routed all your home network DNS requests to, and it has lists of, you know, as I said before, it, it already knows like the majority of the ad networks, it already knows the majority of the telemetry tracking stuff. Um, and there's a bunch of other lists that you can add to it that's all part of the community managed stuff. So it'll block your whole network from from going to those stuff, those sites if you want. And it's also got this admin panel to it where you can say, oh, it blocked something that I actually do want. For me, I like to watch uh, CBC Sports. Mm -hmm on streaming because that way i can get to watch rugby uh like the toronto wolfpack when they're 
doing away games. Right. And the uh, piehole had blocked some of the advertisement that comes up before the actual game will play. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that if you don't watch the ad, then you can't get the content. So it, it was preventing me from doing it. I, I looked, there was like five different items that were loading at the same time that I was trying to run CBC Sport and watch a video. So I was able to quickly determine which one was a problem and unblock it. So now I don't have that issue anymore. So you looked in the admin console for the pie hole? Yep. That's very cool. It's very easy. It's a web interface. It's super obvious. It's time stamped. Um, and you can you can even tell it which time for it to look between. I want to invoke our season two mantra. Um, yep which is using this you are putting some trust into software that you may that you didn't make so right. you have to decide whether or not you feel comfortable allowing it to run now keep in mind that for something like this in particular um it's encouraging because not only do you have direct access to the admin panel that would allow you, as you've just said, to add and remove things, some things that you may consider not ads, I guess, or not content that should be blocked and some things that you consider aren't. Uh, And the second piece to this is that because of the nature of open source software, uh, it allows a lot of people to take a look at it and anything that gets added ends up often being uh, scrutinized by the rest of the community. So ideally there shouldn't be a lot of... Uh, nefarious actors but just keep in mind that you're putting your trust into something you're you 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 have to choose whether you want to trust it absolutely absolutely i i would not say that open source software is any more trustworthy than closed source software or vice versa there's been lots of recent incidents where people have found bugs in open source software that's been around for 20 years or somebody's taken over an open source software as the maintainer and added something malicious to it so that's still a possibility just as it would be in closed source software but the nature of this project is people are concerned about network traffic so you've already got the right kind of people looking at the right kind of problems that you'd be caring about mm-hmm. and and there's communities of people contributing to these lists so yeah i mean you've got the right eyes looking in the right places to make sure that this is kind of more trustworthy. There's three layers of trust here though, right? There's the Raspberry Pi itself, the operating system that's running on it, which is Raspbian most likely. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got this software product on top of it that's using DINmask, I believe, underlying as the DNS aliasing software that does the resolution and acts as a, a really lightweight server. And then actually you have the community lists themselves. And they're not always perfect. And especially if you go for the more paranoid stuff about blocking malicious software sites, those are kind of pop up and come down. And some some of those lists can actually be more paranoid. So if a valid web server gets hacked and is starting to serve up malware, you're only blocking that by domain name itself, not by the actual specific URL that's being browsed to. Because that's all this is doing is DNS name itself. Mm-hmm. A legitimate domain can be blocked because it's serving up malware on one itty bitty part of it, but that's not necessarily the part that you're visiting. Does the admin console grant you uh, an option to add white listed sites? Yes, it does. Okay. So a site that you choose to enter the domain and it adds it to in much the same way that a blacklist is a bunch of things that you don't want to have access to, the whitelist would be 
ones that grant access based off of the domain itself. And mm-hmm. that tends to blanket cover any subdomains. So, you know, potato.in-security.org would still link you to our server, but it would link you to a different section if it existed, which it doesn't. Don't try it. Don't look at my potato. <laughs> yeah, so there's... there's. Um, now i got to go build potato.in-security.org. As, as you... So the dots that come before it, you can have a bunch of subdomains of a domain, and it can be all nested like that. You can have um, golden.potato.in-security.org. You can have yeah, yukon.potato. You can have yellow. You can have wax. Like you can have all these precursors, and then you can have like yummy or rotten before those. So those can all be kind of different DNS names. And as long as you're prepending that before the in-security.org, you could whitelist all of kind of star.in-security.org, or you could whitelist only yummy.waxy.tato.in-security.org, right? Or you could even whitelist all of .org and say, I just trust orgs. Have we spoken about subdomains before? I don't know. I think I'm trying to do it right now, though. (laughs) It just seems surprising. Okay, so the, the reason that it's a little surprising to me is because using subdomains is a very regular method of attack for uh, phishing and those types of scams because using the methodology that Max has just explained, I could create a subdomain, which is microsoft.com.in-security.org, which would, the address looks like microsoft.com. So when you're looking at where the link is pointing to, a lot of people tend to, like some people actually do the the before clicking blindly, they'll try and see where it's leading to. And right. oftentimes for things like phishing scams, where they're just trying to get you to, or trying to pretend that you are signing into a different website, um, they can use those sorts of subdomains as a cheap and easy way to pretend that they are an actual website that you're familiar with. Yeah. And our stupid human brains that are very good at pattern matching goes, Oh, there's Microsoft.com. It says it's Microsoft.com. I'm just going to click on this. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, you didn't maybe pay attention to the fact that there's the dot in dash security.org before the slash that terminates the actual domain name portion. It gets into the URL portion. Right. So all those things said after that slash, you can have all of the content that's part of that domain. And, and that's what I was trying to say before is you can have good stuff and bad stuff kind of intermixed together. Right. So if you're blocking based on domain name only, which is what Pi-hole does, that's one of the limitations. Okay. So knowing your limitations is good. It's only looking at DNS resolution. It's not intercepting your web traffic. So it's not breaking your HTTPS secure socket that's connecting. It's not man in the middling your actual web surfing. It's only intercepting the DNS request, which is a completely separate thing before you even reach out to the web server. Even though your browser still shows the, the friendly name up top, your computer, your phone, your whatever, your IoT device has made that translation and is actually going out to the IP address. So what was the 1.1.1.1? So that is your DNS server fields your requests. It'll do the filtering at that point, and then it will relay this on to another DNS server. So the way DNS servers work on the internet, mm-hmm. the very top level ones, the .org, the .com, the .ca, the, the .net, the .whatever, right, the .country code, they point to root 
DNS servers that field the requests for all the things that are within that dot. So dot org would have like edu.org. It would have, you know, in-security.org. It would have a list of all of these different org servers at, at the root level. And then it keeps kind of busting it down further and further. So you, the, the way it works is a DNS server would then go to the root DNS server and say, what is the root record for this, this DNS record? Okay. So you, there's always like a referential connection back. And then with, at any point in between that stream, you can filter and you can log, which are the really cool things that the pie hole provides you the ability to do. So you can intercept DNS requests without intercepting the web request. Okay. Sorry. I misunderstood. Then I thought that you said that there, that you were going to, uh, that you would have a hardware device that would do the DNS lookups for you so that really all you're sending is IP addresses. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. So you still do need to refer to another DNS server out there. So you'd need to point your pie hole when you configure it to another DNS server that you trust. So you can point it to the open DNS one. You can point it to 1.1.1. You can point it to Google. You can point it wherever you want it. It will just do the pre-filtering of that stuff before it passes on the query all the way up to the root domain servers. So the pie hole is ultimately doing both of these things. It's, uh, it's doing the DNS conversion and in the meantime, filtering out all of the incoming traffic from those unwanted sites. It's not filtering out the web traffic. It's preventing you from going there in the first place from being able to resolve it. Okay. Cause it's saying, Oh, you want to go to malicious.in-security.org? That's me. You're talking to me and there's zero content there. The pie hole does that all in one. It's the refer to the other DNS server that will tell you the actual address and it is the filter. And it is also the log, which will tell you who on your network accessed or attempted to resolve what host. Okay. And then it's got timestamps. So, <laughs> you know, I... I you know, as a Snoopy dad, yeah. as a Snoopy dad, I can say, I don't want you to go to the YouTubes. And did you, did you, you know, go to the YouTubes last night and all that stuff. Right. And also you could potentially set up kind of time blocks. Like it's not an out of the box feature for Pi-hole, but you, it's a really easy thing to script and say, you know, after this amount of time, youtube.com doesn't exist anymore. Interesting. And then in the morning, YouTube.com exists again. You can go and check it out. Um, and presumably you can say for these devices on the network, YouTube.com doesn't exist anymore. Yes, this is true. Meanwhile, for other devices, it could. And if you wanted to get more Snoopy, then you can put in something that will intercept the actual traffic and have these configurations that are really easy to do. I know Disney sells a product called Circle, I believe, that will allow you to be one of, a, a lot more overbearing as a parent. So instead of whatever YouTube video they're trying to find, it would just serve up that uh, Newman video. Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, didn't say the magic word. <laughs> Right. All of my references are at least 30 years old. Perfect. Yeah, so you can set up time limits, filters, bedtimes, um, usage, off time, rewards. I don't know what that is. You can see history, though. You can pause 
the internet. So can you actually have it just serve up a, an image of you looking stern? <laughs> you could absolutely. Uh, part of the yeah yeah for sure. One of the fun things that uh, we've talked about in the past is you could if you're man in the middling kind of traffic, you can do whatever manipulation you want to the traffic. So if somebody goes to browse a website. And all of the images on the website can be remapped to be upside down. Right. Or replaced with cats or whatever, right? Just, Just every website your... is replaced with a website, a photo of you saying, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. There you go. That one's easy. That one you can do on DNS alone. And and that's an interesting thing about DNS is it's so powerful. If you hijack DNS, you can point somebody wherever and it's not the actual web browser, right? You can trick the web browser to think that it's going to the right place when it's really not going to the right place by manipulating DNS entries. And there've been lots of attacks like that. DNS hijacking is a thing. So if you're in control of that, then you have much more power. Very cool. As far as the, uh, the piece that you said, it, it doesn't, it's not built in natively, but it's very simple to script. Um, yes. I'm going to go ahead and assume that a lot of these simple type scripts exist already out in the wild uh, for if people not, to find? It's, it's like a one-liner okay. kind of thing. It's just, it's Raspberry Pi is running a version of Linux called Raspbian. And all Linuxes kind of run the same. And scripting stuff around times is just a cron job. It's called that. So you could search up cron job. You could find examples of that. And that cron job could add a line to the blacklist for youtube.com for the example that I had before. And then another cron job in the morning could remove that line from the blacklist. This is, of course, and, named after chronological, named after uh, Chrono Trigger. Right. Chrono, the main character in Chrono Trigger, who actually founded this technology. Right. Going back in time and and saving the world yes with marl and luca and that frog fella i never trusted him you remember way more of that game than i do that's being in control of dns i uh, highly recommend checking it out it, it's cheap if you want more power uh then you can and you trust disney corporation <laughs> then you can buy the circle i'm sure there's other things like that those are the only kind of two that i'm familiar with and dns can do powerful things as well like we'd mentioned it can get you around netflix region code things because it's connecting to a different server you're telling it where to go for like geolocation kind of geofencing is what they call it where they block you based on where your request is coming from so if you point to another dns server that's local to you know the brazilian version of netflix servers then you'd be in a different zone is dns a better solution for that kind of tomfoolery than a vpn service no no it's not because a vpn takes all of your traffic and shoves it through your connection so that you just pop out the other end so whereas Netflix can block certain DNS servers from being able to resolve it or, or it knows just the same way as Pi-hole kind of knows the uh, a bunch of ad networks. Netflix also has a similar type of list knowing the DNS servers. The popular DNS servers that are abused. Yeah, to, to not trust those. Fair enough. Um, and, they, and they can kind of block that saying, hey, looks like you're trying to avoid your country limitations, yada, yada, yada. So what are our takeaways then from this week? Uh, our takeaways is that security in your business or your home is really about being in control uh, of what people can do 
from there and making sure that things aren't doing malicious stuff without you knowing about it. So back to what I was talking about before, it's prevent, detect, respond. Right? Those are the tenements of, of security. And how do you be able to do that? Well, the pie hole will prevent you from loading malicious content. If, if you want to configure it that way, it'll, it'll allow you to block people from doing stuff that you don't want them to do by being in control of it. It allows you to detect when somebody did by having a log. So if you need to go back and figure out who did what, where an infection came from, gives you a little bit more power in that respect, and it allows you to do the response. So there are presumably other devices that do this. Uh, the Pi Hole is one that we are familiar with. The uh, Disney version is one that is fairly well-known and mainstream. And so these are the two that we're bringing up as the examples here. It doesn't mean that they are the only ones. Feel free to do a little bit of research and see which ones you think best suit your needs. Uh, outside of that, if we were to take that learning and tie it into, say, a small business context, um, things like having your mom and pop shop providing wireless service to customers, something like this could be taken and twisted ever so slightly into uh, stopping people from going to just wildly inappropriate sites. Let's say your mom and pop shop is a bookstore you might want to block Amazon so that they're not able to just price up all of your books. Or you may want to block really undesirable sites so that that creepy guy who hangs out in the corner doesn't do weird stuff. Right. And if you're on the red team side, obviously, you probably already know this, but you can manipulate people to go to servers that you can control. And then you can insert yourself as a man in the middle by making everybody go through your server first. An idea for that would be instead of Amazon, when they try and type in Amazon, you redirect them to a Amazon uh, affiliate link so that you're still getting a kickback from there it. There you go. Now you're thinking with portals. Nice. I'm on board. Hey, Matt. Yes, One Max. more thing before we go. I was thinking if anybody had any questions in terms of home networking security or small business, why don't they email us at feedback at in-security.org and then we'll be able to answer them through an episode. Well, that sounds great, Max. Anything else? Uh, yeah, so I want you to have a good week. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy.